Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Well, hey, good morning, ACF Church. How are you guys doing? Glad that you're here today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm just glad that you're here today. Thanks for uh, spending the morning with us. Also, if uh, you have extra room around you, make sure you just kind of squeeze together. Uh, get rid of the dude seat. We've still got people coming in. Um, so you don't need the bumper seat. You'll be just fine uh, sitting next to somebody. So thanks so much for spending Sunday morning with us. Um, if you're new, we just want to welcome you and, and say that we're glad that you're here. If you uh, are new to church or haven't been back to church in a long time. Um, I just want to say welcome. We're, we're just glad that you're part of, uh, of the ACF community here today and, uh, and glad that you're with us. We are in a series called The Grind, and uh, this has been the way that we ch- decided to start off the January uh, season, this, this kind of depressing, cold season in Alaska, uh, is to talk about how to find uh, peace and joy and purpose in the grind of life. And we start off with this reality that we spend about 80,000 hours of our lives at work. And uh, for some of you, that's really good news. And for most people, that's bad news, right? Most people don't really uh, feel super fulfilled at what they do. In fact, I, was, I, I found some statistics this week that were really interesting. Um, a few things. First, there was a tie between the most meaningful job in America for first place. This is a Forbes magazine uh, article said this. Um, the first one, the first most meaningful job in America was an orthopedic surgeon. That's a pretty good job. Do you know what the second, uh, the, the Thai job was for most meaning, meaningful job in America? Youth pastor. Youth pastor. Do you believe that? The most meaningful job in America. So here's the thing. It's really interesting. Orthopedic surgeon, uh, median pay, $337,800 a year, right? Not a bad paycheck. Um, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, that's, you're doing okay. Uh, median pay of a youth pastor, $35,000 a year, okay? So it just goes to show you, like, there's something else that's driving people, something else that gives them a meaning and a purpose. And what I love is that Scripture helps us to find our drive and to find our purpose so let's stand up together. We're going to start off by reading scripture together. Anybody just really tired this morning? Maybe a little bit? Okay, so stand up, wake up. Uh, we'll start off by doing this together. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 6. And uh, this passage, I feel like, just sets a tone for all of what we want to talk about today. And so let me read this for us. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then verse 33, I think, really brings it home. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let me pray for us as we start off. Jesus, thank you for your word today. God, thank you that it's just as relevant today as it was when it left your mouth. 
God. And so we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. God, I pray for every person in this room that, um, God, you would meet them where they are. We claim that, God, you are in this place. Um, Father, you are here and you desire to meet with us here and you desire to speak to us and, and God, to bring freedom and, and hope to the hurting. And so we ask for that today. We pray that it would fill this place and that you would move. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys can have a seat. So if you don't know my story, uh, we came up from Colorado, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, about seven years ago. Any Colorado people in the room? Lots of Colorado, awesome. So Grand Junction is a western slope of Colorado, and we were working at a church there for about six years. And part of my job was outreach, which was uh, it's kind of our community wing of the church, doing uh, soup kitchens and, and ministry to our city. And, and so one day I was actually collecting cans and canned goods for the local uh, soup kitchen and the food bank. And so um, I, I collect all these cans, put them in the back of my pickup, and I pulled up to the food bank to unload all of this. I back in, and, and I look over next to me, and this other guy shows up. He backs in right next to me, and he has the exact same truck, the exact same year, and the exact same color. And so, like, we're kind of checking out each other's trucks. Has this ever happened to you before? Checking out each other's trucks, and I'm like, I better introduce myself. And, and he down, opens his tailgate. We both have all kinds of canned goods in the back of our trucks, and um, we get to talking, and he's a local DJ there in Grand Junction, and, and uh, I, I hear his heart in our conversation. This guy is just totally bent on serving the community. I mean, everything that he does is about helping the needy, helping the homeless, meeting needs in a city, just loves the community that he's in. And for me, that's always been my heart, is that the church would be the kind of place that if we disappeared, uh, the community would miss us which isn't always true of churches, and so we want to be that kind of church, and, and that was my heart there as well, and, and so we get talking with each other about our trucks, right, because guys love to talk about their trucks, and so we're talking about our pickups, and I was like, hey, I noticed you have this big fuel tank in the back of your pickup. What's that about? Now, about this time in Colorado, gas prices were soaring, like $4.30 a gallon, $4.50 a gallon. I mean, they were skyrocketing in Colorado. And he's like, here's what I did. As soon as the gas prices started going up, I converted my truck to run on vegetable oil. And I was like, that is awesome. How much does it cost? And he's like, it's free. Oil is free. You just pick up used oil from these restaurants. And so he's got my attention, right? I'm like, I want in on that, right? Sticking it to the man. Let's, let's do this free fuel when everybody else is freaking out about fuel prices. So he and I kind of struck up a friendship and got to know each other a little bit. And, and, and we made this plan. Every single week, we would get together and he would hook up his trailer and we'd go around Grand Junction, Colorado, picking up 55-gallon drums of vegetable oil to run in our trucks. And uh, this, was, this was just a lot of fun for us. Felt like we were saving a few bucks and hanging out together. And we really got to know each other just driving around town uh, weeks, uh, weeks on weeks. And, and then like at one point, a, a few weeks in, he kind of pops the question to me, which uh, for a pastor, popping the question is, what do you do for a living? Because uh, it always tends to get a little weird after that question gets asked. People kind of go on rewind, like, what did I say in front of this guy for the past 20 minutes, you know? And, uh, and so he's like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor at a local church. And just silence in the truck. He's like holding the steering wheel, looking down the road, just the hum of the diesel engine. And I'm like, did I, did I tick him off? Like, what's, what's up? And finally, like, his face kind of changes, and he, he lightens up a little bit, and he looks at me, and he goes, well, I guess we all have superstitions, don't we? And I was like, 
I guess so. This, the, let's talk about it, right? So we launched into this conversation, and he shared, he's like, you know, about how the church was a waste of time, and, and faith is a crutch for weak people, and he kind of just went in to talk about, like, why uh, Christian, Christianity, religion, and, and anything like that is sort of just a waste. And uh, for me, like, I lean into those conversations. It wasn't offensive to me. I felt like it was a great opportunity just to share, like, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's what's my drive in my life. And he was able to share just the things that were driving him, which were, you know, helping the needy, helping the homeless, really good things. And the interesting thing about our relationship is uh, we spent a lot of time doing similar things. And yet we were both driven by completely different things. And I, I don't know if for you, I want you to just consider this question today. And uh, it's, it's the title of my talk, but the, it's this question. What drives you? What drives you? What is it that motivates you in life? What is it that is driving your life? It's interesting. Again, we did the same things. You might be doing the same things as other people in your life with two different drives. You might have the same job as your coworker, but you might have two different drives. What is it that's driving your life? I think it's really important that we identify what drives us. Because when we identify what drives us, we'll know where to go. We'll know exactly what we should do and we'll know how to do it. What is it that's your basic motivation? So when we start off life, I think as children, we're motivated by a lot of different things, and, and parents have a lot of different parenting styles, but there are two things, I think, specifically that parents use to motivate us. And the first is this, rewards, and the other is this, punishments. Rewards and punishments. And so I want you just to think back. This is, this is participation time together. Uh, as you were a kid, tell me some rewards that your parents used to motivate your behavior. Tell me some rewards. Go ahead. Candy. Okay. Money. All right. Pay you to be good. Let's stay up late. Bedtime. <laughs> Food. You don't eat if you don't. Act right, okay? Wow, that's rough, bro. All right. Anybody over here? TV, toys. Driving. Friends. Somebody in first service said ammunition. I was like, we are so in Alaska. <laughs> good, okay, so, that, so that's good. Yeah, I was like, man, that is, here's some 22 rounds, Billy. Go be good. I love that. Okay, so these are rewards. And, and as kids, we know, like, these things motivate us, right? Now, um, give me some punishments as a kid. Spankings. Burpees? Really? I'm writing that one down. Burpees. Spankings was number one in all services. There were lots of spankings going around. Time out. Grounded. <laughs> no, bro, pray for this guy over in the side. No food. Wow. Food, no food. Okay. Anybody else? Video, no, uh, no video games. Video game. That is a driver. No car. 
Bar of soap, yeah, Ralphie, uh, Christmas story style, right? Bar, you said some bad words, didn't you? Bar of soap. Okay, 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 that's good, that's helpful. So, okay, so we know that like at its basic level, we're motivated by these things, right? Like these things can change behavior, right? They can change, and we know this, and in fact, um, for uh, many of us, like we would say that we motivate others with these things, don't we? I mean, you might say that you motivate your children with these things, maybe people in your life you motivate, maybe you're a boss and you motivate your employees with these things. Um, whatever they may be, we know that rewards and punishment can, reward, can actually motivate our behavior. I was reading a book recently called uh, Drive by Daniel Pink, which I'd, I'd really encourage you to read it. It's all about what motivates us, if you're kind of into that conversation. But he wrote this, and I'll read this quote. It says, when institutions, families, schools, businesses, and athletic teams, for example, focus on the short term and opt for controlling people's behavior, they do considerable long-term damage. Try to encourage a kid to learn math by paying her for each workbook page she completes, and she'll almost certainly become more diligent in the short term and lose interest in math in the long term. Maybe you've run into this before. Take an industrial designer who loves his work and try to encourage him to do better by making his pay contingent on a hit product. And he'll almost certainly work like a maniac in the short term, but become less interested in his job in the long term. As one leading behavioral science textbook puts it, people use rewards expecting to gain the benefit of increasing another person's motivation and behavior. But in so doing, they often incur the unintentional and hidden cost of undermining that person's intrinsic motivation towards the activity. Okay, so what he's saying is through his research, he's realized that this does not last very long. That you can short-term motivate or even manipulate people's behavior by giving them rewards or punishments for what they do but it doesn't change what they do long-term. And I would say, as a Christian, it will not change their hearts, right? I mean, have you ever done this with a kid and you said, sit in the corner, you know, and maybe they've said, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside, right? I am sitting, but I know my heart is in rebellion towards you. You can't change my heart towards this situation. All you can try to do is control my behavior in the moment. And so for most people, this is about as far as we go in terms of motivating others and also in terms of feeling motivation for ourselves. Maybe even good deeds that you do through life are motivated by rewards. Maybe you're like, well, I love to give people food and, and give a coat to the homeless and help hurting people. I think that's a good thing. And maybe for you, it makes you feel good. I would say for most people, uh, apart from Christ, the only reason you would do those things is, well, it helps some people. I feel like it, that's a nice thing to do, and it makes me feel good to help them. But I wonder, the question is, what actually drives you? What, what is the deeper drive that we have? And I love that he uses the term intrinsic motivation. Like almost as if somebody wrote something on your heart. It's like we were all built to be motivated by something. And so in this passage that we started off with, Jesus says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is trying to give us an intrinsic motivation. He's trying to give us a central drive, a central focus to actually determine how we live the rest of our life. Instead of being driven by punishments and rewards, he wants to show us the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, in the culture that he was doing ministry in, there were a lot of people motivating by punishments and rewards. 
If you think about the Pharisees, and we talked a couple weeks ago about the woman that was caught in adultery, and they drag her before Jesus, and they're like, hey, punish this woman. She did the wrong thing. And Jesus says, you who is without sin, go and cast the first stone. See, Jesus wants to, like, help them transcend ab ab above this whole punishment rewards theology. Even the disciples, we see them clamoring around Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the best in heaven? Who's going to get to sit at your right hand? And, and so there's this, and he tells them, like, the least among you, the one that serves, that's who's going who's to be greatest in the end. He's constantly helping them transcend this perspective of, like, I want rewards, and I don't want punishments. And I would even say this for you. The way that you motivate other people says a lot about the way that you're motivated. If you tend to motivate people with rewards and punishments, there's probably that type of motivation within your own heart. And so we want to look deeper and go, what is it that should motivate us? What is it that motivates people? What is it that motivates your friends and your family? What is it that motivates the world around us? I was reading a study this week talking about uh, the one thing that every man wakes up every single morning wanting. Do you know what it is? Bacon. That's right. That's right. It's bacon. What were you thinking? So it, it could be sex. It could be bacon. It could be either. It could be uh, entertainment. It could be enjoyment. It could be happiness. It could be fulfillment. I mean, that's, that's for men and women. It doesn't matter who you are. We all want certain things out of life, don't we? We all have certain things that motivate us. But then what, what happens through life is we pursue these different things, and I think a lot of us end up very unsatisfied. I think there's a lot of people that are walking through life very unsatisfied. A, a recent Gallup poll says that 50% of employees are not engaged at their work, and 20% of them are actively disengaged, right? So I'm not really sure what the difference is between not engaged and actively disengaged. I mean, you're either playing Candy Crush or like trying to undermine the company, but either way, you're not engaged at what you do. You're just not interested. It's not meeting some kind of intrinsic drive, intrinsic need within you. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, I want to go to a passage that speaks about this. Um, you can also follow along on the screen behind me, or you can download the ACF Church app. And uh, all of the scriptures will be on there. But the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, scholars believe, was written by Solomon. He calls himself the teacher in this book. And we just read, uh, Jesus actually talks about Solomon. That, that even Solomon wasn't as great as all of the lilies of the field. See, Solomon was a great man, had accomplished a lot of things, had a lot of power and money, influence. I mean, things that I think many of us would say drive our decisions, or at least drive the decisions of people around us. And in this passage, he's actually wrestling with the meaning of life. He's wrestling, like, with a greater purpose. He, he's wrestling with, why am I doing what I'm doing? And he's doing so, this is really key, he's doing this so, so on the other side of accomplishing his goals. He's wrestling with the meaning of life, not before he accomplishes his goals, but after he accomplishes his goals. I want you to think about that. And so in verse 18, it says this, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun. He likes the word toil. Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows, I love this part, whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. He uses the word vanity to speak about like meaninglessness would be another way to, to, to translate that word vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. 
Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart in which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is vexation, which is a good word. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This is also a vanity and a striving after the wind. Okay, so do you hear his heart of depression and despair as he's thinking about his life and thinking about what have I really accomplished in life? What have I really done? And he talks about this person that would come after him, this person that would inherit all of his stuff. And he's like, what if that person is just totally a fool? What if they squander away everything that I have? I know my wife and I, when we first got married, somebody told us, you guys got to make a will, right? You got to make a will. You got to make sure that the government doesn't take all your money, you know, and it goes to your wife or goes to your husband if one of you gets in a car wreck. And so you want to make sure you have a will. And the reason is you just don't want it to just go somewhere. You want it to go to the people you love. And your greatest hope is that the people you love will take what you've done your entire life and they will multiply it and use it and make good use of it. But what Solomon's realizing is he's like, nobody can control that. I mean, I'm going to leave, once my wife and I are gone, we're going to leave everything to our children. But there is no guarantee that they're not just going to go out and waste every dollar that we give them, right? No guarantee. I mean, we're going to do our best to raise them. And Solomon's like, I got no guarantee that somebody's not going to take everything that I've done and waste it and throw it away. So he's in this place of despair. If you have a pen, I want you to write this down. Laboring only for what's under, under the sun always leads to despair. He uses the term under the sun to describe everything in this world, everything materialistic, everything that we see in front of our faces. And it's kind of like he's accomplished all of this. He's got the house. He's got the, the stuff. He's got, you know, the big family. He's got everything that he wanted, and yet he feels like it's really, really meaningless and not just that, but he grows to hate it. Verse, or, verse 18, he says, I grew to hate all the things I, should, I had worked so hard at. Maybe this is you, like you're at a place in life where you've accomplished a lot. You've done a lot, but you find yourself sort of hating what you do because you're realizing the meaninglessness of, of certain aspects of it, or maybe for you, that you haven't done so with intentionality, and so you're kind of, you're doing good things without a purpose, you're accomplishing great things, but you don't really know why you're doing it anymore. That's what you sense in this man's heart. He hates that he must leave it to someone who comes after him, you know? He, he knows this reality, maybe deeper than many of us, that you're going to die and you can't take it with you. And, and we know that, but we kind of don't, right? We know it's all just going to go away, but we kind of live like maybe it's going to make a difference in the future. You can't take it with you. In fact, a, a few months ago, I was looking at selling um, one of my, my vehicles, and I was on Craigslist looking at some different ads for vehicles on Craigslist, and I, f I ran across this ad for a pickup. It said, like, 1985 Chevrolet 1500, um, well cared for, perfect paint job, great tires, and this was the, really, the, the thing that really was interesting to me is it said, for sale, too good home. Too good home. 
And I was like, that's so strange. I've seen that on ads for like dogs and cats, and, you know, pets, living things. I've never seen it on an ad for a pickup truck. But as you read this, you know, you could tell this was part of the family. In fact, he wanted to make sure that whoever got this was going to take really, I don't know if he was going to do like an interview process, like sit him down, make him take a polygraph and make sure that like you're going to take care of this thing, right? Uh, but he wanted to make sure the owner was going to love the truck like he loved the truck. And, and there's this thing inside of us, right, that wants to make sure that the things that we care a lot about will go on to do really good things. Solomon's like, you have no guarantee of that. And he's realizing that although he's accomplished a lot, it may go to waste. And he feels like life is meaningless. Life is meaningless. And some of you maybe feel like that today. You showed up at church today and you feel like life is a little bit meaningless. And here's the thing. I, I really feel like this is an important conversation, a really important conversation. And I was actually kind of arguing uh, with a friend of mine about the book of Ecclesiastes because he, he said, I hate that book. I can't stand reading it. I'm like, why? He's like, it's so depressing. It just, it, it's the most depressing book in the Bible. And I said, that's really funny. I feel like it's the most encouraging book in the Bible. And so we went back and forth about why we both felt the way we did. But I think what's interesting about this book is you catch the story of a man who had kind of gotten it all and realized that it was, it was all a waste. He'd, he'd gotten everything that anybody could have ever wanted. And he realized that it was all a waste. And see, I think I think this was the beginning of Solomon really understanding who he was before God. Like, I think this was the beginning of Solomon actually finding meaning in life. Because listen, listen, I think that if you want to feel meaning and have purpose in life, you actually have to descend like Solomon into this place where you realize everything you've done on this earth is really meaningless in and of itself so that you might find meaning in Christ alone. I think you have to go through that. I think you have to go through the pit first. You have to deal with the despair of like, what am I really doing? I think about this often, like I love ACF Church. I love you guys, I really do. I love the community that we have. I, I love the ministry that's happening. I love that our city is changed because of our church. But I think about this often, like if I die on a car, in a car wreck on the way home, do you guys know what's gonna happen next Sunday? You're going to have church. That's right. You're going to have church, and some of you will cry. Some of you, like, don't even know me. You'll be like, I don't know what happened. Uh, you know, can we find a new pastor or what, you know? And, and then, like, we'll have a little, you guys will have a little ceremony, and, you know, everybody will tell stories about me, hopefully. I don't know, maybe some good stories. Um, and, and then, like, you know, a couple months will go by, and then, like, the elders will come together, and they'll find some amazing new pastor. He's going to come in here, and you guys will be like, I don't even miss the other guy. And he's going to do such a good job, and ACF's going to keep reaching our city and lives are going to keep getting changed through the church and God's going to keep using it and it'll be like, where did the other guy go? New people will show up. They will have never heard of me and, and somebody will be like, yeah, there was a pastor. He died in a car wreck and they're like, all right. Uh, you know, like, it'll just keep going and I think about that and I feel like, some of you are like, this is the most depressing sermon <laughs> in the world. It's not. You have to go through this. See, for me, that makes me go, okay, well, then, then all I have is right now. Like, all I have is this. This is all I have. And I can give everything of myself into right now and know that it's not about me and all of my purpose and all of my meaning comes from Christ alone. And, and that's easier to say than it is to do. And I'm, ju I'm just saying, this is what we do when we go through this pit of despair like Solomon. And Solomon got it. He got it. He felt such despair that he would leave it to someone who would come after him. Verse 20 says, I turned about 
and gave my heart up to despair. It's interesting, he gave his heart up. Like, it's like he gave up. He's like, is this it? If, it's, if this is it, then that's fine. We'll just, I'll just waste away my life. Over all the toil of my labors under the sun, he became disillusioned, jaded. Some of you are jaded and disillusioned with life, maybe with the church, maybe with just things in general. You've just given up that there's anything more that's worth doing in this life. It's like he got everything that he wanted, and maybe you're, you're there, and you're like, I thought I'd be disillusioned if I didn't get what I wanted. Somehow I got everything that I wanted and found out that I didn't want that. I mean, have you ever gotten what you wanted and it wasn't what you wanted? This is Solomon. He's like, I got everything that I wanted and found out it wasn't what I wanted. In fact, sometimes getting what you want gets in the way of what you really want. Is that confusing? Sometimes pursuing what you think that you want gets in the way of what you actually want. So think about it. Like, what is it that you really want? What drives you? What is it? Is it deeper? For Solomon, I think money certainly was a drive. For many of us, money is a drive. You would, you would say, that's the, I got a job. Why? Because I had to pay the bills. And I wonder, for most people, if that is your if that's your drive, if that's your intrinsic drive is, is to pay the bills, are you enjoying what you do? Do you find peace in what you, like, do you like what you do or are you just looking to get something else, looking to move on, always seeking something new to fill that void? I would say that money is a weak why. It's a weak reason to live and to spend 80,000 hours of your life doing what you do. Verse 24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner who is given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. If you have a pen, write this down. Work is a blessing, not a burden. Do you know that work was a blessing? Do you know that work was given to mankind in the garden before sin entered the world? Some of you are like, I don't know. When I think of sin, I think of work. Like work is like the the encompassing way that I see sin is like through my toil and the way that I work under the sun. No, it wasn't meant to be that. Initially, mankind had jobs. There was work to be done to tend to the garden. Man was supposed to name the animals. That was a cool job for Adam. I get to name the animals. There's work to be done. Work was a blessing, and it was intended to be done to the glory of God. And so mankind could work really hard and do what it was intended to do, what he was intended to do, and it was all to the glory of God, all to honor God himself. I mean, just, it's interesting that they were in the garden and working. There was things to do, but there was so much blessing around them. They weren't working for a sense of meaning. They were working from their sense of meaning. There's a difference, isn't there? Are you working for a sense of meaning or are you working from your sense of meaning? And you just sense in the garden that that's how it was meant to be. There was work to be done, but it was all from who they already were under God. Sin entered the world. Work is this then broken. And now it's this toiling under the sun, this labor, sometimes meaninglessness that we do just to get by, just to pay the bills. And here's the thing you need to know. If you're thinking, well, I just am looking forward to a day when I don't have to work, you're gonna work in eternity. Like, if you, just, if you just read scripture, you're going to see there are jobs in heaven. There will be work to do. So if you're thinking, oh, I can get away from work, you can't. You better get used to it. You better learn to enjoy it and get a theology of work 
that actually helps you to honor God because it ain't going away. It's only going to continue. So we need to get our heads wrapped around this. It was never meant to be a burden. You see in the scripture that he's like, there's nothing better than somebody that can just love their work. And maybe, maybe this isn't you right now, but you can think of a time where you did something that was work and you loved every second of it. Solomon's like, there's just nothing better than somebody that should, that should be able to eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil and in his work. This I saw is from the hand of God. In other words, if you enjoy what you do, that's a gift from God. That's something that God gave you. It's a blessing from him. We sense that the character of God is a God that wants to give good gifts through the work of your hands. The reason that we work, the reason that we have a drive to work comes from God himself. Did you know God's a worker, right? We know when the earth was created, God worked for six days and rested for one. And so even God himself, his fingerprints are on us. That this drive to do something with our hands, to accomplish things, it's a good thing from the hand of God. But what are you doing with your work? What are you doing with the blessing God has given you? Do you have a deeper intrinsic purpose? Have you figured out how to seek first the kingdom of God in your work and in your labor and in what you do is toiling under the sun? Can there be a greater purpose? Uh, I ran across this quote by Andrew Carnegie after he had accomplished a lot, gotten a lot of money. He said this, there came a point where I resolved to stop accumulating and begin the infinitely more serious and difficult task of wise distribution. It's like I hit a point where I'd gotten a lot, accomplished a lot, done a lot, and I realized I'm supposed to do something with this. This wasn't just supposed to give me some sense of meaning. In fact, maybe he felt like it didn't give him any sense of meaning. So he realized, no, I need to give this away. I need to pass it on. So what about you? Like, what drives you today? I, uh, I ran across this picture that I'm going to draw for you in a second um, from this marketing analyst, and, and uh, he calls it the golden circle. And it's talking about kind of the way that successful companies work and how they get their visions lined up with all that they do. And, and it was really interesting as I was watching him draw this that I thought, you know what, this is perfect for the church. It describes perfectly what we're reading in the life of Solomon, this transition from a, a place of meaningless to pure meaning in Christ. And if you want to draw this, you can draw it. Um, the first circle, it's, it's kind of like a, like a big bullseye. Just draw a big bullseye. In the first circle, write the word why. The second circle, write the word how. The third, write what. Why, how, and what. So if I sat down with you uh, at coffee here after church, um, I might ask you, hey, what do you do? And in about a split second, you'd be able to answer me. You'd say, well, I'm you know, whatever, I work up at the Northern Slope, or I'm a single mom, or, you know, I'm a student right now, or I'm in the military. You'd say what you do. You'd have no problem telling me what you do. If I was like, well, how do you do that? Like, what does that kind of look like? You'd say, well, I don't know. I, you know, I raise the kids. I'm taking them to school. I'm doing that. I, I have certain projects I'm working on. I'm, I'm, I'm this rank. I'm that rank. I have these people that are, I'm in authority over. This is kind of how I do it. And then what if I asked you, like, why do you do that? How many of you wouldn't have an answer to that question? How many of you would struggle to come up with a why behind what you do with most of your life? And see, he was describing this like most organizations and businesses that are successful, they begin here. They begin here. The ones that are failing, the ones that aren't making any money, they begin here. Somebody says, we want to make computers, um, we'll figure out a way to do it, and we have no idea why we're doing it, maybe to make a lot of money, right? 
And guess what? Nobody wants to buy their computers. Somebody starts off with a why and a vision. They determine how they're going to do it, and they're like, we'll make computers. I don't know. We might make iPods. We might make all kinds of things. And then pretty soon, you end up with a company that people spend a lot of money with them. I would say that the same is true for us as people, that if we want a purpose, if we want to live a life of, of purpose, we're going to begin with why we do what we do, and the dollar bill is not enough. Solomon's trying to tell us this, so we would be wise to learn from him. Just to get a paycheck is not enough. Why do you do what you do? Now, it may result in you doing the same things. You may get to keep your job, or God may call you to do something completely different, but in the end, you will know why you're there. This is a person that's driven. Do you know somebody, maybe it's at your job, maybe it's somebody in your life that is always driven. They always know what they're doing, they know where they're going, and they're just making it happen, getting it done. Typically, that's not a person that's just trying to come up with plans. That's a person with a why and a purpose and a reason. Like, they know exactly what they're here for. So failing companies and failing people at what they want to do operate like that from the what in. They start off with like, okay, I know what I need to do. My mom always told me I'm supposed to be an engineer, so I go to school, I'm an engineer, I got a lot of education, now I've got a job as an engineer. Great, why? I have no idea. My mom said I should be one. I have no idea. I, I wanted to impress my dad. I, I have no idea, like I thought those people make a lot of money, they're orthopedic surgeons, right? They're doing pretty well for themselves, so I wanted to get that job. I don't know, but that's not somebody that's gonna last the long game, is it? That's somebody that's going to get really unhappy really quickly. That's somebody who's not going to deal well with long nights, times where they're going to have to work weekends. But when you've got a why, man, you will, you will, get, you will bloody your knuckles to get stuff done, right? I mean, the right way to live is like this. This is how God wants us to live. This is why Jesus, he doesn't give them a whole lot of things to do. He just says, you know what you should do? You should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of the things that you want out of life, everything that you wake up in the morning wanting, you're going to get those things. If you seek those things first and the, and the kingdom of God last, you'll probably end up with none of those things. So think about that. What is your why? Churches fall into this trap all the time too. A lot of well-meaning pastors fall into this trap. Somebody at one point said, hey, you need to be a pastor. You should go start a church. And he's like, awesome. I'm going to do church services. I have a what? And somebody's like, hey, how are you going to do that? And he's like, I don't know. We're going to have uh, cool lights and a lit screen on the stage and a great worship band. We're going to put like 400 chairs in the room and we're going to do services on Sunday and services on Wednesday and that'll be really cool. It'll be awesome. Why are you going to do it? That's a really good question. These are declining churches in America. Declining churches are churches that live on their what and not their why. There are churches with way better buildings and way better equipment and way better things than us that are declining. People don't want to go there. People don't want to be a part of it. Why? Because it's cool for a little bit. It's like, oh, that's entertaining. And then at some point, you're like, why do I want to wake up on Sunday morning and go be a part of that? Because here's the thing. I, you guys sacrifice to be here. I know, like, the kids are crazy when you get up, or you were out late last night, and so you had to set your alarm so you'd wake up before noon to get to church, right? And you made it here, and you, you sacrificed to be here. And the only reason you would do that is if there was something deeper that you wanted to be a part of. And this is what we're doing today. We're doing baptisms today. You know, we've baptized like, I don't know, over 30 people in the past couple weeks. Praise God for that, huh? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, we can thank God for that.
And that's our why. I mean, like, life change, people being transformed. We say this a lot. ACF Church is here to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched and the unchurched and the dechurched. We're here to amplify the grace of Jesus. It's what we want to do. And we believe that when we do that, the city will be changed, we will be changed, and it will be all about Christ. And that's our goal. It's a, it's a simple why. And we're like, okay, so we've, uh, we're going to do that through ministries. We're going to do that through our relationships. Oh, and by the way, we've got church services on Sunday, right? What if you went the other way around? You made it all about the what? Hey, want to come to church? We're not sure how we're going to do it, and we definitely don't know why. I don't know. I'll go watch football, right? I'll go do something else on Sunday. Why would anybody want to do that? So we want to be a church grounded in our why. Last thing I want you to write down. If you're a person with regrets, a person that maybe feels like to this point you've lacked a why, the strength of your why will determine the scope of your regrets. The strength of your why determines the scope of your regrets. Don't all of your regrets, every missed opportunity, everything that you walked into that you shouldn't have, don't those all come down to you lacking a good why, a good reason? I mean, wouldn't you say, like, I don't know why I, you know, continued to date that person, but I did. And all my friends said I should stop, but I didn't. I don't know why. I don't know why I took that job. I mean, yeah, it was paid a lot. It was a good opportunity. It seemed like the next logical move. I don't know why, but it's terrible. I wish I could go back. I don't know why I moved. I moved, and I shouldn't have moved. I don't know why I stayed. God said to move. I shouldn't have stayed. I should have moved. Doesn't it all come down to lacking a why? If you want to live a life with less regrets, you're going to know why you live. And if ultimately you want a purpose that will last, if you want to help somebody more than just giving a a can of food to them, if you really want to give them hope, you're going to be grounded in the kingdom of God. That you would seek his kingdom first, honor him first, and you'll not only give people food, you will show them the hope of Jesus. And that's what we're about, is helping people both physically as well as spiritually as a church. So if you're here today, I would say this too. The kingdom of God is the place to start. But I would say everybody else in this room, you all have a specific why to you as well. Like, it starts with seeking the kingdom of God first, but there's also something in you that I believe God has planted in everybody that you need to be pursuing. It is your reason. It is the thing that drives you. It is the thing that upsets you about the world. It is the thing that you think must happen. And so if you want to figure out what that thing is, you have to answer these two questions. What is it that absolutely must happen in the world around you? And what is it that absolutely must not happen? I believe if you answer those two questions, what must happen, what must not happen, you will find your why. You'll find the thing that just infuriates you, that you need to bring to the, to the light and figure out, what am I going to do about this problem? You'll find the thing that drives you, that excites you, that you're like, man, God has put this in my heart. I want to see this happen in the world around me. And I just wrote down a few things uh, for us as a church, some things that have been on my heart uh, from ACF Church. I would say also just most of us could probably grab hold of at least one of these, if not all of these. But these are just some things that we believe as ACF Church must not and must. Okay, you ready? Yes? All right. At ACF Church... We believe that every kid in our city must have an opportunity to hear about Jesus and that kids must not grow up without safe and loving environments. Is that a good why? Anybody? I think it's a good thing, right? Kids should be able to hear about Jesus. It's a problem that kids in our city don't get to hear about Jesus. And it's a problem that they could grow up without safe and loving environments. So we want to provide that. Downstairs every week is not babysitting. Downstairs every week is showing people the grace of Jesus uh, through age-appropriate teaching and just loving those kids. 
maybe for some kids, more love and affection than they get for the rest of the week, okay? So it's not childcare, it's so much bigger. We believe that teenagers must have leaders and mentors to help guide them through life, and that teens must not walk through the challenges of adolescence alone. Is that a good why? That's a good thing, right? Kids need some people to look up to. They need some people who will, you know, they can, they can share difficult questions with and, and, and confide in. So that's why we have breakaway. That's why many of you serve in our student ministry. We believe that young men and young women must have a church and community where they are accepted. That's a good thing. Assisted and welcomed, no matter their physical or emotional struggle. And that there must not be one more man or woman in Anchorage who takes their own life due to depression or PTSD. That has to stop, right? That has to stop. I mean, this is a, this is a tough season. I believe that coming up to the, to the springtime, every single year, there are people who take their lives due to depression, PTSD. I'm not okay with one more of those happening. Like, I'm not okay with one more person taking their life because of that. Are you? Anybody? We're not okay with that. So we, we say, okay, what can we do? How can we create an environment and a space where those people can get help and be honest about those issues? That's what we want to do. We believe that sex is a gift from God. Amen? Amen. And that people must not be seen as products. Okay? So sex is a gift from God. We believe that we want to elevate the value of sex because God gave it to us. It's a good thing. But we also want to believe that people were given the image of God and they're not products. They're image bearers. They should be treated that way. And so must and must not. We believe learning the Bible is a good thing. We should learn the Bible and that we must not fall prey to political, cultural, and social trends that undermine the truth of the gospel. If you want to not fall prey to the trends, you got to know the Bible. you got to know what is true so you can combat the things that are coming at you. We believe that we must be a gathering of people who welcome people from all backgrounds and that we must not hide our questions. Don't hide your questions about faith. We believe that we must rise up to our leadership potential as men and as women that we must not neglect or resist our gifts because of insecurity or lack of training. That's why we build up leaders. That's why we give people opportunity to lead groups and ministries and things throughout our church, things that we believe. We believe that we must be a Jesus-centered people and that we must not forget the grace by which we are saved. There's just a few things on my heart this week because I'm thinking like, what are things that must happen? We gotta care for people. What, th- what are things that should not happen? We, we got to make sure that people have a safe place. They don't feel alone in this life. And so that's what we do. That's what we're all about. That's our why. It's grounded in the kingdom of God, seeking it first. And then it flows out into all these other things. What is it in you? What's the thing that just fires you up, that gets you going? I want you to pursue that vision that God puts in your life. Let me pray for us. God, we can do a lot of good things for all the wrong reasons. And uh, we can live lives that lack purpose and intentionality. Uh, God, I know there's people in this room today that are just kind of questioning, why am I even here? Uh, Would anybody care if I wasn't? Would you impress it upon their hearts first that they are your kids, that they bear your image, and because of that, they are infinitely valuable? Second, God, would you give us all a vision for what we are to do in this world so that we can amplify your grace to a broken and hurting people. 
God, guide us as a church, guide us as people. Give us a greater why. Help us to identify what drives us, God, and help us to be driven first by you. God, help us to resist anything in us that would cause us to run back to trying to impress you or impress others or finding our meaning in money or accomplishments. God, you are the only one that satisfies. So bring us that satisfaction today, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One thing that we're doing today is, is baptism. And uh, we're excited about this. It's an opportunity for people to go public with their faith. And if you've planned on getting baptized today, I want you to check in in the lobby as we sing a couple songs. Um, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't wash away your sin. Jesus washes away your sin. But it's the first act of obedience for those who follow Jesus. It's just what Christians do. Christians first say yes to Jesus, and then they go public with their faith to say, God, I'm not ashamed of you. I don't want you to be ashamed of me. And so we go public with our faith simply by going under the water and coming out of the water. It's not magic water. It's not holy water. It's tap water. Um, but it's just water, and it's a symbol of what Christ has done for us. He's changed our lives. He's cleansed us. We come out of the water uh, as people who are changed by Christ, and that's what the symbol is about. And so if you're here today, and maybe you didn't plan on getting baptized, um, or maybe you're brand new to ACF Church, and you think it'd be weird. I want you to know it's not weird. Um, if God is doing something in your heart, and there's something in you that says, today is my day to go public with my faith. I, I, I have taken it for granted, or I haven't been serious about following God, and I know I need to stick my flag in the ground and say I'm a believer in Jesus. That's what I want you to do today. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. Today can be your day to do that. You can just go check in in the lobby. We have t-shirts. We have shorts. Um, we have hair dryers in the ladies' room. We, can, we have everything for you. So zero excuses. If God is laying it on your heart, we would love to baptize you and help you uh, go public with your faith today. So let's worship. Let's honor God together. Would you stand?